are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So about 15 years ago, I was sitting in a, in a class um, at Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. I expected you to go nuts when I said Kentucky. I don't know what's up with that, but anyway, um, there we go. So the, the professor's name was a guy named Del Galloway, and he said... I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I felt like God was calling me to plant a church there. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any people to help me. I didn't really have what I felt were any resources at all. And so I went to this drive-in theater, this little drive-in theater, and I said to the guy, "Um, I noticed that on Saturday night they litter your property pretty bad, and they throw their trash out on the ground, and the trash cans are running over and all of that. Um, I would like to have church here on Sunday morning at this drive-in theater. So if I come over early on Sunday morning and I clean up all the mess and I take all the trash and I put it away, could that like be my rent for having church here on Sunday morning? And the guy says, wait a minute. You want to have church at a drive-in theater? You're going to clean up all the mess to pay for the rent. And he goes, yeah. He says, okay, you can do it. So he says, "I I would stand on the top of the concession stand with a microphone in my hand, and they would pull their cars up and turn up the speaker box, and I would preach to them. Not many people were coming, though. Maybe three or four cars. And he goes, one Sunday, I'm standing on top of the concession stand, and I've got three or four cars in front of me, and I'm cast in vision. And I'm saying, we're going to build a great church. And we're going to build a cross that towers over the city. And people are going to come to the cross and to the church and they're going to find Jesus and they're going to find hope. In fact, thousands of people are going to come to find Jesus through this church right here. And he said, when I did that, the guy in the car closest to me was in an old station wagon. He has an arm hanging out the window. And he just starts laughing really loud. He just throws his head back and he just laughs at my vision. And he said, I kind of got it because I thought, how pathetic probably did I look standing on top of this concession stand saying that we are going to build a building one day and we're going to put a cross that will tower over the city and thousands of people are going to follow that cross to find Jesus and find hope for their lives. I mean, look at where I'm standing when I'm saying this stuff. And, And then he looks at all the pastors in the room and he says, if nobody's laughing at your vision... Maybe your vision isn't big enough. I heard somebody say last week, when people hear your vision, they should be hearing the size and the scale of your God. When people hear your vision, they should be hearing the size and the scale of your God. And as I'm listening to this guy tell this story that happened years ago, I realized that they did build that church and they did erect that cross and thousands of people did come and find Jesus and hope for their lives. So you know, you know that I've been talking to you guys for the last maybe year or more about something that God has put in my heart. And when I dream about the future of Bethany First Church, I dream about a group of people who have become so passionate about becoming more like Jesus. 
I dream about people who want to live like Jesus, who want to walk like Jesus, who want to talk like Jesus, who want to have the compassion of Jesus, who want to care for people like Jesus cared for people. And out of that flows this passion to help people come into a relationship with Jesus. And I believe that many, many people are going to find Jesus through the ministry of this church. That's what I dream about. Now, here's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. And you might want to take a pen out or take your phone out and write this down, okay? Because this is what I believe to be the truth. If I have ever believed anything in my life to be the truth, I believe this is the truth. If I believe I'm wearing black this morning, I believe this is the truth, okay? I don't know how this happened. It was like I liked the shirt and I couldn't find something to go with it. So I ended up all black today. But I believe this is true, okay? That it is the desire of God. I believe this is the truth. That it is the desire of God. I believe it's God's desire to transform you and to transform me to become more like Jesus. I believe that's what God wants for you and that's what God wants for me. I believe it's the desire of God to transform you, to change you, to change me to become more like Jesus. Now, if that's what we're going to talk about, let me just pause for a moment, okay? So I've got to ask you, just kind of friend to friend here, if you'll look me in the eye just for a minute. So how much do you know about Jesus? How connected are you to Jesus? How much have you learned about the life that Jesus lived? Because I really want you to see Jesus. Because here's why. When you see Jesus, okay, then you see what God has called you to become. But until you see Jesus, you have no idea what God has called you to become. That's why I desperately want you to see Jesus. Because when you really see what Jesus is like, then you have an idea. And a light comes on that says, aha, so that's what God wants me to become. Because it is the desire of God to transform you and me. To become more like Jesus. Do I seem worked up this morning? I'm worked up, aren't I? All right, so let's kind of settle down and get it together here. So Romans 8, 28 is one of the most memorized scriptures in all the Bible, probably. And I understand why. Because it gives us hope when we go through tough seasons of our lives. So I'm going to read to you Romans 8, 28 and 29 and 30. Okay, those are the verses this morning. So if you want to grab a Bible or a device, and you want to look that up with me, we'll put the words on the screen for you as well. Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30. So Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, the followers of Jesus in the church in Rome, and here's what he says. And we know, all right, we don't doubt this, we know this is true. We know that in all things, now in a minute, I'm going to talk to you about the context of this passage. It's not written in isolation. It's written with other paragraphs all around it, okay? And the context is suffering. So we know that in all things, even in our suffering, even when things are going really bad, even when life is really hard, even when everything has kind of come down on us tough, we know that in all things, God is at work, okay? So... Because you're going through bad times doesn't mean God has turned His head and crossed His arms and said, I'll come back when you get your life worked out. That's not the way it is. God is at work. When you're going through hard times, Paul says God is at work. Okay, so we know that in all things, even suffering, even when days are hard, that God is at work. Working for the good to those who love Him, who have been called, the key word, 
according to his purpose. Now, listen to this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. To what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. It is the desire of God that you and I be transformed to become more like Jesus. God's at work through every situation of our lives. And what's He working for? That you and I can be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, this last verse is a verse of hope and encouragement and security. He says, And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. So this is God's Word for us today. Amen? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about it, okay? So I don't know everybody's story. Some of you I know your story. And as I just try to look around the room this morning, I look over here and I see a bunch of high school students on my left. You guys have started back to school. Yay? All right, we're there. I look over on my right side and I see a bunch of college students. You guys have started back to school. They outdid you, by the way, high school students. Some of you are freshmen and you moved away from home for the first time. And as I've been bumping into you and talking to you, I've been kind of trying to pull you aside a little bit and say, so are you doing okay? And most of the time, a freshman says, I'm doing okay. And then I say, are you homesick? And sometimes they say, yeah, I'm a little homesick. Because when I went away to school, I got so homesick. It was really hard. I love being at school, but I had a great family and I just missed my family. You know what I'm saying? Some of you, I know your story that you're dealing with major illnesses. And some of you I'm praying for daily. I'm, I'm asking God to heal your bodies. And some of you are going through some really tough times with that. And some of you have people in your life that you love a great deal. And those people are suffering. And it's killing you to see them suffer. Some of you are dealing with financial struggles. And I'm aware of a few people that I'm praying that God will help you come through those struggles. But you're just tired. You're tired of every day of your life it just being a constant financial struggle. And you're just sick of it. And I realize, too, that there are some people among us who have committed really serious sins. And right now you are suffering the consequences of those sins. And life is pretty challenging. Some of you are concerned about family members and family systems and relationships. And some of you have gone through breakups. And I'm praying for a few people right now who are going through a divorce. Let me just tell you, once in a while, we find ourselves in a situation where life is really hard. Until a couple of years ago, I didn't know what the word ISIS meant, but now I know what ISIS means. And we all live right now with kind of this cloud over us where we know that Christian brothers and sisters around the world are being persecuted, some beheaded because they're followers of Jesus. The racial tension that we're experiencing in our country over these last couple of years scares me. We've got to get along. We've got to love each other. And once in a while, you just find yourself going, man, life is hard. Okay, let me just explain this, okay? This is the context of Romans 8. In fact, in verse 18, Paul just comes out and uses the S word, suffering. We are suffering like crazy. In fact, he says it this way, the whole creation is groaning. Oh, life is hard right now. 
And sometimes we don't even know how we ought to pray. But he says the Spirit prays for us. So here's why I think this is important. When I talk to you about the fact that God wants to transform us to become more like Jesus, I think it answers one of those tough questions in life. And that question is this. Does my suffering have meaning? Is any good going to come out of this? Am I just going to suffer and suffer and one day I'm going to die and that's it? It's like the lady who said to me, Pastor Rick, I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to suffer, okay? I've accepted that, but I don't want my suffering to be in vain. I want there to be some good that comes out of my suffering. And that is what Paul addresses in these three verses. So let me talk about that with you for the next few minutes, all right? Uh, Fourteen years ago, I made a friend whose name was Ron Salisbury. He pastors a Nazarene church in Pismo Beach, California. His church is about the size of our church. I think we have a lot in common, he and I. We had a lot of similarities. And so, 13 years ago, Ron told me that he had a very aggressive form of cancer. We went to an annual meeting every year, and he made every one of those meetings but one over the last 13 years. He went through the roughest of cancer treatments that you can imagine. Experiments were done on him. He had every side effect you can have. He lost so much. He still pastored his church, and there were times when he would be out of the pulpit for maybe a couple of months because he was so sick, but he always bounced back. And he was the standing pastor of that church just a few weeks ago when he died. And one of the reasons I'm telling you is because I want you to pray for that church. Can you imagine what it would be like today if your pastor died? It would just be kind of alarming for you as a congregation. And so I think we ought to pray for those people. I remember walks with Ron, one in particular, and and here was his message. We're beating the odds, brother. (laughs) I don't know why God has been so gracious to keep me around so long, but He has been gracious to keep me around so long. I feel like every day is a gift. I don't know why God has been so good to me, but I'm sure thankful to be alive. Annette and I didn't get to go to Pismo Beach for the funeral. We had some family stuff going on, and so we took out our iPhone and we propped it up against a glass on a kitchen table where we were, and we got to watch the funeral live. It was streamed live. And the last person to speak was his wife, Kathy. So there's thousands of people at the funeral. And when she stands up, the place goes absolutely nuts. They stand, they whistle, they scream, they clap, they cheer, they yell, they show her all this love and support. And here's what she says about Ron. Never once, never once did my husband ever say, why me? She said, in fact, when someone would ask him, have you ever said why me? His response was always the same. Why not me? I mean, of all people, why not me? And he always followed it with the idea, surely God is going to bring some kind of good out of my suffering. Surely, God is going to do something powerful as a result of my suffering. God is going to bring something really good out of this. It's this idea that I'm not going to live my life and suffer and then die with no meaning. It's not going to be in vain. God's going to bring good out of it. So when Paul writes these words, he says, 
You know what we know that we know that we know for sure that we know, that we have no doubts about? It's this, that in every situation of our lives, okay, as followers of Jesus, even in suffering, God brings good out of it. Now, I got a couple of questions about this, okay? And one of the questions is, is kind of, who's he, who's he talking about? I uh, stood here one Sunday a few weeks ago and I held up my arms like this. And I said, what if we lived with our arms open? What if we stopped living like this? And we started living like this. Because that's the way Jesus lived. It's the culture of the New Testament. Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, well, come and see. Come with me. And they spent the whole day with the guy. That's the way he lived his life. It was just like, come on, you can come with me. And the disciples were the same way. you got to come and meet this guy. Come on, come with us. And so there was a guy named Randy Swanson sitting over here, and Randy heard me preach that morning, and he felt like God was speaking to him and said, Randy, why don't you live with your arms open? And so you know that with Thaddeus Black, we're trying to plant a church just north of us in Two Lakes. And the Lord that morning seemed to say to Randy, you got this new house and you got this great pool. Why don't you invite the Two Lakes Church to your house for a pool party? i got to show you a picture, okay? So here they are. They all came out to his house for a pool party. And what Randy said was, you guys are invited. I want to invite you to my house. We'll hang out. We'll cook hot dogs and hamburgers. And all you guys can just come out to my house. So when Paul says, you want to know who he's talking about right here? He says it's to those who love God and who have been called. The word called in the Greek is kletos. And it simply means invited. Those that God has invited to eternal life, like Randy invited a bunch of people to his house, in the kingdom of God, through Jesus Christ, he says it's for everybody that God has says, you're invited. And let me tell you what that means. That means God invites everybody. Now the second question I have, I think is a little more pointed. What is the good that he's talking about? If God's working in every situation of your life to bring about good, even in suffering, okay? So what is the good? And he gives it to us in the next verse. Those he predestined, those he foreknew, he called so they could be transformed into the image of Jesus. It is the desire of God to transform you and me to become more like Jesus. That's the good that God is trying to bring about. And so sometimes we read this verse and we kind of get a little confused and in our materialistic society we lose our job and we say, oh, it's okay. God's working it all out. We're going to get a better job making more money and having bigger houses and nicer cars. No, maybe the good might be that we've become too greedy and we've become too dependent on our money. And the good that God is going to bring is that He is going to help us depend on Him again may be the good. And He's going to help us become more like Jesus. So, invariably, every time I talk about you and me becoming more like Jesus, somebody comes up to me after a sermon or during the week and says, Pastor, let me tell you something. I don't think I can ever become like Jesus. I don't think I got it in me. And so, if you mean by that, that Jesus had no sin and I've already sinned, that's true. You'll never become like Jesus in that regard. 
As long as I'm in the flesh, I'm subject to sin. I understand that. But why would God in His Word say that it is the desire of God to transform you and me into the image of Christ if it wasn't a possibility? You know what you need to do? You need to start with me believing the Word of God. And when God says in His Word that He wants to transform you into the image of His Son to become like Jesus, you need to start believing that God wants to transform you to become like Jesus. And I think I ought to get a witness over that right there. So, here's the good news. You're not stuck. You're not hopeless. You're not left just to say, this is the best I'll ever be. God can change you. It is God's desire to change you. It is God's desire to transform you, to make you more like Jesus. That's really good news, isn't it? It's really good news for your spouse. So we've been saying together lately for a long time as we move toward September the 11th. You've got to be here September the 11th. September the 11th, we're going to start a journey together. For 40 days, for 40 days, you and I are going to say, Okay, God, make me like Jesus. Change me. I'm believing with everything in me that there are going to be many people who are going to look back on the fall of 2016 and say, That is when God did something major in my life. That's when God changed me. And so God works through all kinds of things. Even our suffering. And He works through our practices. I'm a firm believer in this. That when I come to church like this with you, I believe God uses events like these to change me, to make me more like Jesus. When I spend one-on-one time with God in personal devotions, I believe God uses that practice to change me, to make me more like Jesus. When I serve people, people go on mission trips and they come back and say, Pastor Rick, I grew more in my faith in two weeks than I've grown in 20 years. And through that practice of serving, God changed you. When I give, I believe God makes me less greedy. On and on and on. And so we'll begin a journey September the 11th. Now, this is what's kind of interesting. I I, I try hard to communicate this. And over the last couple weeks, I've realized I haven't done a good of job communicating as I thought I had. So let's talk about it. little gal works in our office named Allie. She's so sweet. And I walked up to her the other day and I said, Allie, are you coming September the 11th? I mean, people have said to me, we've changed our vacation times. We've changed plans. We've done all this stuff because we're going to make sure we're there on September the 11th. Everybody's, I've got to be there. People are telling me, I'm bringing friends. A little gal told me the other day, I've got five people coming with me on September the 11th, Pastor. I said, Allie, are you coming on September the 11th? She goes, I wouldn't miss it. Absolutely. I said, so what's happening on September the 11th? And Allie said, I don't know, but it's going to be big. <laughs> My friend Danny Danny Thomason, the real loud guy over here, you know what I'm talking about? Danny, Danny says to me, hey, I went in the restaurant the other day, uh, the one we go to for breakfast, and, you know, this one server that we really have gotten to be friends with, she was working, and I said, hey, you've got to come to church with me on September the 11th, okay? It's going to be a big day. It's special. Pastor's challenge to invite people. You've got to come with me. And she goes, um, okay, but what, what is it again? What is so special about the day? He goes, well, it's a special day, and it's going to be really great and pastor's challenging me and I want you to come with me and she goes okay I can come but what what is it I'm coming to and he goes girl I don't know what it is I just need you to show up on September the 11th just be there okay (laughs) so it kind of reminds me of how we think we're communicating we're not and it reminds me of a church sign I saw lately it's this one right here on the screen 
know. Do I want to go to that church? I'm not sure. And, and what we assume they mean is that we don't love to hurt people. We love people who are hurting. I think it's what they're trying to say. And so I think I've been communicating that way lately myself, okay? So let me just be a little more clear, all right? We, we, we gave you a worship folder when you came in. Would you grab it real quick? Would you look on the front cover of it real quick? So in our desire to become more like Jesus, we're talking about it today. Next Sunday, Scott's chairman is an artist. He'll be doing a sculpture. I'm telling you. Um, I know you're looking at that, but look at me for one second. This guy is solid. I mean, he's kind of a Colorado mountain kind of man. He, he is going to capture your attention, and God is going to speak to you through him, and he's going to ask you a question before you leave next Sunday that you're going to have to struggle with for a while. And it really is a great thing to bring a friend to, especially somebody who doesn't typically like to go to church, churchy stuff. On the next Sunday, September the 11th, we start a series called Transformed. It's a 40-day journey together where you and I seek to become more like Jesus. If you flip it over, I think there's some great questions there. Can I really change? Can I experience radical transformation? Can I really become more like Jesus? And so we're saying, well, why don't you come with us on September the 11th to this series where we talk about becoming more like Christ for a 40-day journey together. And we'll talk about those practices, worship together with God, one-on-one time with God, serving and giving and sharing our faith and, and, and sharing with others, etc. And, and then at the bottom, here's what I've given you, kind of a sample, okay? This is just how you might invite a friend. So I think we could all show up and it'd be great, but why not invite people to join us, right? And it just says that you might say to somebody, we're going to do this really great thing at our church, a 40-day journey together, where we will seek to grow and become better people. Would you want to join us on the first Sunday? Check it out and see if it's something you want to do with us. It's, it's not about you saying, you should go to my church on this Sunday. I don't even know if I'll be there, but you could go. It's about saying, I really want to become better. You want to do this with me? Would you want to come the first Sunday and check it out and see if you want to do it with us? It's kind of this cool thing where 40 days we're going to journey together. Would you want to journey with me? You see, that's very different. So a friend of mine said when she was a young girl, her family didn't attend church, but this person would come by and knock on their door and invite them to church. She said, we never went. But we always had these conversations after they left. Like, why do you think they want us to come to their church? It never occurred to us that they loved us or cared about us. She said, I'm not for sure that was why they were inviting us anyway. They just always seemed to be angry the next time they came that we hadn't come yet. See, this is not about inviting somebody to church. This is about you inviting someone to join you on a journey. To live with your arms open. You're inviting somebody into your life. You're inviting somebody for coffee, for lunch. You're inviting somebody to faith conversations. You're inviting somebody to church for sure. One day you may invite that person to come to know Jesus. But if you're not willing to go on a journey with this person, I don't think it's a good idea for you to invite them. I think you ought to just leave them alone. 
This would not be a good Sunday to say to somebody, uh, you're in my seat. I mean, if they are, just don't say it, okay? Just, just sit somewhere else. Just be glad they're here. Lots of seats. 2,500 seats in here. Find another. So here's the way we're going to respond today. Let me deal with the last verse, verse 30. Um, to those he predestined, he called. To those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Don't, you can get worked up about the verb tense. It's all in the plural. Does that mean glorified? I thought that happened when we go to heaven. And what is this all about in regard to eternal security and election and predestination? I mean, you could get wrapped up in a theological conversation. You could miss the meaning. So let me say this to you. Last night, I went to Taylor and Kaylee Brown's house. Their little boy Griffin was there. Their adopted son Trey was there. And two foster babies, 11 months apart. They live like this. They put me to shame. And one day they said to Trey, this little, little, cute little boy, Trey, you should come with us. We'll protect you. We'll provide for you. We will even help shape your life. See, that's what verse 30 is about. One day God adopted you. That's why he uses that language in his Bible. You've been adopted. I'll provide for you. I'll watch over you. And I'm going to help shape your life. You are not stuck. You are not left to just be who you are now. I want to transform you to become more like Jesus. So I'm asking two things of you this morning. Will you join me on the journey? I mean, will you give it, will you take it serious? Will you show up? Will you, I'm going to ask you to adopt some practices and the Holy Spirit is going to help guide you into which ones of those. Will you join me? The second thing I ask, is there somebody that you should bring with you? It just feels selfish to say we're just going to do it all just us. Let's just be just us. No. Let's just let's live like this. So Kyle's going to come up. We're going to sing before we go. And on each side of the altar, there's a basket. And in the basket, there's a card. And the card is like the one that I've been carrying in my wallet for a few weeks now when we first gave them out. And on one side, it talks about who we are and on the other side I just put my name and I say that I'm going to live my life with my arms open to the following people and 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 these are the people that I'm praying about bringing with me on September the 11th I have one two three four five six names on the back of my card and so maybe you lost your card or maybe you weren't here the Sunday we gave them out you don't have one would you come and get one just walk down and get one there's one here and there's a basket here would you walk down and get one and, and just say, God, so whose name should I put here? Who should I live like this with? Or maybe it's somebody you're already living like this with, and now you're saying, I think I'm going to ask them to join me on the journey. Would you just come down and get a car, go back to your seat? Would you mind doing that? So two things. I'm asking you to commit to the journey, and I'm asking you to take a card, if you don't already have one, and let God guide you of whose names you should write down. We're only two weeks away. It's going to be awesome. I want you to go with me.
Okay? You want to stand? To him who is able to do far more, abundantly more than we would ever ask or even begin to imagine, be glory and honor and power forever.
Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.